getting tired. Yeah. It just got really quiet. Okay, we come to the end of this series uh, called Irresistible, and um, it, it's been... I've had a good time. It's been an attempt to, to sort of flesh out what, what at the core we find irresistible about, about what, what, who God is, about what he does in our lives, about the, the mission he's called us to. And today we finish it focusing on our specific vision statement. And the vision statement that Warehouse has adopted is from a, an old um, piece of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, when the, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And for us, we've looked at that term righteous and seen that it doesn't mean when people start acting pretty good. The righteous are those who give away expecting nothing in return. That's, that somehow, out of their heart, they, they offer out freely to the world around them. And then when, when that happens, when there are a group of people, when there's an individual who's willing to offer out of their fullness, expecting nothing in return, the city rejoices. People around are impacted and life begets life in the midst of that. But as we look at that, I want to explore a couple of things in this, and we're going to wind our way down toward one central focused thought about our lives. Because one of the issues I want to explore today is the whole issue of me and the world. How do I live live a life where I somehow take care of myself live well within, find a level of prosperity in my own soul, and at the same time, wade into the world around me. I was struck by, I mean, I I like a lot of things in that song, but I was struck by one line in that where it says, we've lost our touch. We've lost our sense of touch. In a a 30-second view of communication theory, all communication, everything we do in life is mediated. There's always something between us and what we connect with. And, and, and at the most basic and primary level, it's our senses. We, we touch things. We feel things. We see things. We smell things. And, and in the midst of that, that sense of touch, we engage the world around us. And, and they're saying a relatively, I think, profound thing that somehow in the midst of our lives, we've lost our sense of touch. That somehow our souls have gotten isolated insulated, calloused to the world outside of ourselves. We're not exactly touching it anymore. Mark and Amy Dickman just got back from Ethiopia where they brought the beautiful and fabulous Zena home. And as Mark and I were having a discussion about his experience in Ethiopia and what he saw and what he felt, it reminded me of the several times that I've been in places where the level of, of poverty and degradation was profound and some of the things that I felt there. And it was particularly true for me in, in, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti and in, um, uh, in, in a couple of different cities in Uganda and perhaps the most pronounced in um, Manila, Philippines. And and this was my experience in Manila. I was was doing business. I was actually working to sell things to Coca-Cola at the time. And so I'm doing business in downtown Manila. And downtown Manila is a, I mean, there's huge skyscrapers, and it's bustling, and 
You know, we're meeting in these fabulous hotels and then we drive just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit, and suddenly we see a level of poverty that I had not yet imagined until I went to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And that was actually a whole other level. But still, there were these shanty towns, driving away from these beautiful skyscrapers as these shanty towns, and it's hard to even describe them other than they look like incomplete buildings. Three and four story with just some concrete walls on the side and a floor and a roof, but no walls. I mean, wide open on the front and the back. They're not wondering how they can pay their electric bill. The level of poverty was just striking. Here was my thought. I'm looking at my friends as people would come up and beg or something like that, and they sort of shut it down really fast. And here's an American walking in and going, how can you live this way? How can you live so calloused? Yeah, I know. I know it's easy for the outside to say that. But what I discovered in them was they felt their lives were so much on the edge that they were sorry, but they couldn't afford to feel it. They, they had to pour their energy into maintaining their existence. They couldn't afford to touch that reality. They shut it down. They walled it off. They lost their sense of touch with the world around them. And the dichotomy, the division between me and the world became huge. And so this morning, the concept I want to explore is me, and, and insert your name there, and the world. How do, I, how do I live whole with who I am and the cares and the concerns and the dreams and the aspirations I have and engage and still touch the world around me? I'm going to read you a passage and tell you a story. This passage I'm going to read to you... Actually, I'm probably going to do it the other way. I'm going to tell you a story and then read you a passage. In the midst of what was the darkest financial time that Nan and I have ever experienced, uh, a dark financial time brought on by many things, not the least of which was um, foolishness and stupidity on my part, in the midst of that time when there was a part of me that just wanted to crumble, to feel like, how could I have let this happen? How could I have caused this? In the midst of that, Nan came to me one day and she said, I want you to read this passage. This is what I think God is telling us. And this is what it says. It's Psalm 85. And I'm going to read the end part of it later. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. And the context of the passage was God looking at a people who had squandered what he'd given them. Who had experienced great loss because of their own folly. And in the midst of that, the psalmist writes, but God, you are God who restored their fortunes. You restored their lives. And Nan said to me, God is telling us that, yes, we've been foolish. And really, it's me. Seriously. But God will restore our lives. He, he desires to restore our lives. That's, God is the God of restoration. And it was an important scripture 
to understand a truth about us and the world. And I want to walk through, as I like to, a couple of dichotomies. A couple things in a continuum and talk about what I really think God is telling us, our central truth about how we're to live our lives. Many of us will live our lives in this place of self-protection. Life's hard, it's uncertain. For us in America, I mean, these times feel incredibly uncertain. At this point, we still don't know who's buying Wachovia. It's changed, apparently, at least for the moment, again, in that a judge has ruled at last notice that it's city city course to, to purchase. So who knows what's going to happen? And, it, and that, along with the gas shortage, has created great uncertainty. And I know for, for many of you, I mean, you have felt the loss. You're feeling the loss. Some of you have lost jobs. You've, you've, for you, you've lost fortunes. You, you've seen things pulled out from under you. And in the same way, honestly, that Nan saw this and prayed this for us, I, I want to pray that for you. Uncertainty is horrifying when we look at our personal security. And I want to see your lives and your fortunes restored. But the truth is, in the midst of uncertainty, at whatever level, whatever we were taught, at whatever our experiences, whether in Manila looking around us, whether in the midst of present-day Charlotte, we develop a wall of self-protection. There is a division between me and the world around me, and I must, my central focus, my, 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 my heart beats is me. I'm not a terrible person. I'm just trying to keep life under control. Me first. I've got to protect me. And I've got walls up. It, you know, it reminds me of a, the office episode where, where Dwight shuns Andy. Shun. And then when he wants to talk to him, unshun, we shun. We live behind these walls where we're essentially closed off. And occasionally, we'll let the world in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture out a little bit and I'm going to offer some of myself, and then I'm back. And I'm going to pick and choose just how much I can afford to offer, because it's a zero-sum game. And I've only got so much, and I'll weigh it carefully. And sometimes people really living in this life of self-protection, they can offer a lot. They've protected their lives so well that they can open up their walls fairly often. But in the end, the defining principle of life is self-protection. And that place of self-protection, what never happens, what never happens is a true and profound sense of peace and wholeness. It's always, I have to make sure. On the other hand, We can live in a place where we face the world, where we look out at it, and no matter what we do, we feel like it's not enough. We felt like there shouldn't be any walls up. And truthfully, live in a place of guilt, of I've I've not done enough. A place where, where nothing's enough. And that is some of the place at times that I've lived my life. I want you to hear this straight. When I say this, I'm not saying that I do more for the world than this person does, sometimes less. 
because I'm over here feeling guilty that I haven't done enough. And when you feel guilty that you haven't done enough, often you just don't do anything because it's never enough. How do I find... How do I find a place of peace that I live out a life where I honestly care how my life goes and yet I can wade into the world and touch it again. You see, I tell you without fear of qualification that God wants your soul to prosper. He wants you to do well. You desire good relationships. You desire to have your career go well. You desire to experience a level of of financial security. None of these things are wrong. God longs to bring it. There's a passage in 3 John where it says, God, I want you to prosper as your soul prospers. I want you to do well. You are my, my child. I want you to experience abundance. Jesus, at one point, says, here's what what it's about. I came to give you life and life in abundance. I came to fill you. And in the midst of that, you wade into the world knowing it's not a zero-sum game. At the end of this passage, there is a, a striking a striking verse. And I'm read verses 8 through 10. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people. Hear that. He promises peace to his people. The Hebrew word peace is a sense of rich, holistic satisfaction. Peace. He promises peace to you. But let them not return to folly. Because then peace gets squandered. Because we're living with guilt and fear and self-protection. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in the land. Love and faithfulness meet each other. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Righteousness. The zadik, the life given away expecting nothing in return. And peace. The life that is holistically abundant and full. Kiss each other. They don't compete with each other. It's not a zero-sum game. It's only a zero-sum game if you're the controlling entity. If you're the controlling entity, it is a zero-sum game. It's how much you can produce, how much you can protect, how much you can give away. You can live that way. But you've lost the most central thing that God intended for you. Every one of you, whether or not you're in a relationship with Him or not, the most central thing He wants for you is where you find a profound sense of peace in the midst. A sense of abundance when it looks like there's lack. A sense of joy when it feels like despair is the call of the day. 
He says, I give you peace. Not as the world gives you. Not based upon what you can grasp. Not based upon what you can protect. I give you peace. And from that abundance, you realize you wade forward into the world, living fully. Not partially. Not sometimes. You live fully. How does he do this? Because in the end, what God does when he brought Jesus to earth was to break down the barriers because the thing we'd really lost touch with, the thing fundamentally we've lost touch with, was God. We were no longer touching God. We'd missed him. Through a hundred different ways, we were no longer touching God. And what he has said is, I will restore your touch. You were made for God. Body and soul. Heart and mind. You were made for God. And when he broke down the thing that kept you from him, which was your, I'll just be straight up, it's your own sin. It's your own folly. That's that's the heart of it. Our own folly kept us from God. We ran our own ways and he ripped down the barriers, our self-constructed walls and said, I will give you myself fully. I will be all in in your life and now abandon yourself to me. Uh, For those under 13, plug your ears. There is no place for half-assed living. And let's be honest, it's what we do. Because we don't really believe, I promise peace to my people. I promise fullness. You don't need to be afraid anymore. It's okay to pray for your own life. It's okay to want to prosper. But wait in fully with me, and I will prosper you. And out of that, you will wade fully into the world before you. I'm going to tell you a couple stories. I was I was a praying last week for you know what in the world is going to happen in our country financially and of course I'm concerned I'm concerned about me let's be honest I'm concerned about me I'm concerned about my family I'm concerned about the kids I'm concerned about where I'm concerned about you of course I'm concerned and as I was praying for that you know praying for God would you restore this financial this financial crisis that rocks our country, what bopped into my head at that very moment was, well, what about the people in Ethiopia? What about the people in the Shanty in Manila? They're a lot worse. And as that hit my head, the dichotomy was up. Zero-sum game. Don't be selfish, Bruce. Zero-sum game. Don't pray for financial markets here. They have it worse. Full stall in my head and my heart. because I'm not living a whole life. Wade into the life before you. I realized how that thought was not holy. It was not selfless. It was simply a broken view of the world. That of course, 
if I'm living in a place before God, of course I wade in with my needs. Am I going to pretend? Oh God, I don't really care how my life goes. The poor people in Ethiopia, bless them, because I sure don't need anything. Really, that's stupid. That's, 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 that's stupid. I do care. And, coincidentally, he knows that. So I wade in, honestly, God, would you restore the fortunes of our people? We, we want to live a whole life. With, the truth is, sort of aside, with the whole financial thing, I, I worry less, honestly, about the numbers and the, the stuff and more about the incredible stress and uncertainty and friction that financial instability causes. It's one of the top two causes of divorce is finances. When the finances go sideways, the interior issues in people, they heighten. And so I pray for the chaos that can happen in our lives in the midst of it. But I don't have to pray for one or the other. It's not a zero-sum game. I'm abandoned whole heart fully into the world, into my life and into the world around me. I don't have to pretend not to care about where my life goes in order to be spiritual. I can pray for peace and live righteously. You got to find the place where the dichotomy gets broken down. Where self protection and guilt fade. And realize that I live a whole life before God. One more story. My wife, Nan, um, and she knows I was going to say this, so. I've watched her walk through the seasons of our life and try to live whole in each of those places. And in, in times, what it meant for her to hear God and to abandon and to live whole meant she ran multiple things in the churches that we started. She, she was at one point running the, the equivalent of Kids Warehouse and she was running a, a ministry for women at the same time because she knew at that point, weighing in and abandoning whole heart, that's what it looked like. Currently, she works full-time at an import-export company because in this season of our life, that's the calling as we seek to live our lives well before God. And she wades in with the life of our, of our kids and she wades into my life. Finding the place of wholeness is finding the place of full abandonment to God, hearing His voice, and then life erupts. I get humbled as I look around warehouse and I see people in whom life has erupted and it keeps spilling forward. When, I mean, look at that painting. Is it a painting? It's a partial painting. It's a work of art. If you get up close to it, what you're going to see is it's a painting and it's also a collage. Those buildings are all from cutouts of magazines and stuff. And as I walked in the room, my first thought was, that is stunning. What a visual picture. And then I walked up toward it and I saw all the layout and all the detail. And I thought, there is Emily Hoppler again. With the gifts that she has, abandoning herself. Whole heart. Not saying, okay, 
Bruce, Steve, I got my life over here. I can give you five hours. Isn't that fair? That's a lot. I can give you five hours. Maybe six. No, what she heard, she heard God say to her, I want you to paint this. And so she weighed in whole heart. Not, not half heart. Whole heart. The Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, said this, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. To break down the dichotomy. What's the one thing to will? God, may I live fully in your presence. Period. End of statement. God, may I live fully in your presence. God, may I once again have my touch restored to you. God, can I not be distant from you? Purity of heart is to will one thing. God, may I fully experience you. And then, peace, internal well-being, and righteousness, a life lived fully out, kiss. They meet. There's no zero-sum game. There's the fullness of God in me. This is what I want for you. If you're someone who has never walked into a relationship with God through Jesus, I will tell you flat out, I would like you to do that today. Why? Because I believe you need peace. I want you to have a whole heart and whole soul. I would love for the walls that you've erected, which are so hard to erect, aren't they? I would love for those to be deconstructed because I want you to have your touch restored to God because you were made for Him. And life is lived fully in that space. Today, walk into that. God waits for you. He says, I'm here to give you life. Walk into it. Simply believe that I long to forgive you and to give you myself. And it happens today. You'll notice, and we're going to baptize two people in a few minutes in the video in just a minute or so. You're going to notice two people who walked into a relationship with Jesus, who took that step. And I hope you will hear in their voices and in their stories the sense of freedom that they felt when they took that step and walked in. If you are already in a relationship with Jesus, this is what I want for you. I want for you to experience abandonment to hit relationship with Him. I want you to ask for more. I want you to say, God, restore fully my touch to you. And then out of that, I want you to live full bore. Waiting into whatever He calls you to. Understanding the season of your life and firing into that with a whole heart. Let's pray.
Father, give us a, a time here in this next little bit of release. Help us to open up and to receive. Help us to realize there is no zero-sum game. It's a game of abundance because of you. And even as we hear this video of Trey and Heather and as we watch them get baptized, would you speak to our own hearts about the desire you have for us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now you can watch a video of...